The information presented in this program is not intended as legal, health, or nutritional advice. All topics are provided for informational purposes only and are not necessarily endorsed. Neither Light On nor its host accepts responsibility for any statements, views, or opinions presented in this episode. All rights reserved. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. David Girelli, uh, researcher and author of uh, the book, How to Escape from Hell, Studies and Interpretations of the Afterlife. So I was telling you, um, when I first saw the title of this book, I thought it was like a, you know, religious book, maybe, uh, you know, with, with its foundations in, in Christianity or something like that. So I was like, uh, you know, because I've always been a person who uh, I didn't like the idea of of hell and the the, the idea of like, the fear and torment that that comes along with organized religion. Um, so I wanted to first ask you, what in this context, what what does hell mean to you? Um, what is sort of your definition of hell, and also why? What made you want to write this book? Yeah. So, firstly, thanks for having me on the show, Absolutely. and uh, secondly, it's definitely not a religious book. And I have spoken to, um, I've been on podcasts and radio shows uh, with religious groups. And, and the thing about religion is obviously it's a very preconce it's a preconceived notion, right? So you've already you've got your view, and in many cases, when you have a very strong belief system, it's you're not necessarily going to change that. And so this book wouldn't necessarily add anything um, unless you were curious about different points of view. The book does mention religion, but from a scientific research perspective, and not just Christianity, it, it touches on many different religions and how different religions interpret the afterlife and hell. In terms of um, why I wanted to look at hell, actually was similar to what you said, which is, um, you know, when, when you see the title How to Escape from Hell, you see the word hell and that whole judgment thing. In many ways, that was why I wrote the book, or at least that's why I began to research the subject, because I could never really reconcile this concept that there's an all-loving God who would equally send you to everlasting torment and burn and torture the life. It just didn't right. make any sense to me. Right? No normal human being mother or father would do that to the child right so why would a a god do, so, so that didn't make a lot of sense to me i also had a lot of problems um when i was younger with addiction issues um i i have a chronic condition i've had a chronic disease my entire life i've been in a hospital i've had surgeries i've been on the edge myself a few times uh, internal bleeding all wow. kinds of things so these kind of life-changing events make you question well i've been pretty close to the line what's going to happen when I actually get there. And if you've ever questioned in your life whether you've been a good person or not, whether you're religious or not, you know, we all, we're all going to die, right? It's, there's two definitives in this world. One, you're born and one, you're going to die. So it's a subject, whether we like it or not, that affects absolutely all of us. Now, it's our personal decision if you want to look into it or, or, or be concerned about it. We can take an agnostic position, which is where I've kind of been most of my life, to be honest. So I came at this from a 
you know, is there a hell and am I going to be on there was really the, the underlying um, driver for it. And also when I was a child, which is how I got into NDEs initially, is um, when I learned about the concept of death, I think a lot of children just kind of brush it off. Um, oh, I'm going to die someday. I, I didn't have that experience. I, I had panic attacks. I had to have medical attention. You know, it's a real problem for my parents to try and help me cope with this concept of death as a child. Uh, it just, wow. I just could not get my head around it. Um, and it was just a constant fear for me. And so they purchased this book for me called The Light Beyond, uh, written by Dr. Moody. And it's one of the first books that had been written on the subject of near-death experiences. And it just resonated with me. And it, it, I mean, I won't go into the details. It's kind of like a gateway drug into near-death experiences. So if anyone's ever looking to just understand kind of the basics of near-death experiences, and, this is, and Dr. Moody is a doctor, so scientific. Um, he's personally met people and interviewed people and treated people that have had these experiences. So that kind of resonated with me. And then later on in life, um, yeah, I, I, I got more and more into the subject. And I decided to look into this question around hell. And I, I couldn't find much in the way of literature around the concept of hell. Um, so I didn't know whether it existed. I think my preference would be if I had to choose a belief system, it would be one where hell didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I figured, well, it's being from a, a kind of data science background and technology background, I'm naturally curious. I, I question everything because I think everybody should. And uh, I wanted to know for sure if I possibly could. So um, so I, I started to look into the subject and I, I got access to um, a mounting of data from the uh, Near Death uh, Research Foundation, Near Death Experience Research Foundation. And there's two key organizations for near death experiences. One is the Near Death Research Foundation, which is NDEF, and the other is IANS, the International Association for Near Death Experiences. And when anybody has a near death experience, and anybody listening to this and does have that experience, I would encourage them to go to either of these organizations, their websites, you can Google them and submit their experience. Both these websites, um, particularly Endurf, they use uh, a system called the Grayson Scale as part of their interview. So they ask the, the key questions that determine if the experience was, for example, a intensive care hallucination. Now, bearing in mind, these experiences occur either at the moment of death or leading immediately up to death like while someone is in the process of drowning, for example, which is quite common. Mm. So it's a traumatic experience. Um, so it's not typically like after they've flatlined or something like that? It, 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 it's, it's both, um, okay. it, which is interesting, right? I mean, that that's a whole rabbit hole in itself. Like, Why would it happen yeah. before a certain moment? And, and I, I don't have enough data to really make any conclusions. I, I've made some assumptions on that, um, but we don't know for sure. Um, but it, it's not always at the moment of flatline. Um, it could be it, it could be months before. I've, I've seen cases where um, it could be a car accident. Um, so the person leaves their body, they have that out of body experience and they see themselves impaled as it happens, you know, whilst they're, you know, in out of their body. So their body is still functioning, um, but they're not in their body. Yeah. In other cases, um, it could happen when you have flatline. So, for example, where you see that quite a lot is under general anesthetic. So people that have allergic reaction to general anesthetic, typically that does occur at the moment of flatline. Um, and, and also for uh, anything traumatic, like a criminal acts where someone's been assaulted in some way and it leads to cardiac um, or respiratory failure due to that, that also appears to... But I don't think there's a pattern. Um, I think it probably depends on the situation. So anyway, so I went off to look at, well, 
what about hell, right? So under what circumstances does somebody have a hellish experience? And um, is there any continuity? Is there any, um, is it a reoccurring thing in some of these experiences or just wildly different? You know, could it be some kind of psychosis, some kind of intensive care hallucination or, or, or drug-induced hallucination, mm-hmm. which is um, coincidentally the most common uh, explanation uh, for people, for, for many scientists to explain um, near-death experiences. And I'll come back to that. So, so I start to look into it and I can find very much on the hellish experiences. And what I did find very much leaned towards religion. So it was repent your sins and believe in Jesus. And I thought, well, okay, that's that's fine. That was written two and a half, three and a half thousand years ago. And I, I'm looking for actual experiences that I can look at as a data set and then do some comparative analysis to see where the common themes are. And then as with anything, if you get enough of them and you see a strong enough pattern, then you can start to determine if this was an experience or just somebody's opinion or somebody's belief system. Mm-hmm. And so in, in, in traditional near-death experiences, the way we measure if we believe it's actually an NDE or some other kind of hallucination, we use something called the Grayson scale. And the Grayson scale asks a series of questions. Um, someone, some that people would be familiar with, like, did you have an out-of-body experience? Um, were things more vivid? Um, did you see loved ones? Did you feel a sense of overwhelming peace and joy and this kind of thing? But there's actually um, many, there's like 16 questions, I think. There's many questions. And each question is scored zero to two. Um, and then you add up these numbers, and that tells you how likely this was, that it was a near-death experience. Interesting. And that works really well for positive kind of regular near-death experiences. And just from a statistical point of view, it's important to understand that it's estimated that near-death experiences affect about 5% of the population. So that's one in 20 um, people have an NDE. And uh, in, in, in the United States, it's around three and a half million people every year who have a near-death experience. Now, of that number, um, anywhere between four to 12% is going to be a negative or hellish experience. Um, so they're quite rare. And therefore, the data is not as available um, as it is for positive NDEs, which is probably why you see a lot more literature around positive near-death experiences mm-hmm. versus negative near-death experiences. Most of the books that exist today are kind of personal experiences as opposed to a kind of aggregate, like a, a research or an investigation into a broader aggregated range of experiences, which is where I came from. Yeah. So so that, so that was kind of how the book started and, and, and where I came from. And as I started to look into the data, it was really compelling, actually. There was a pattern um, and there was reoccurrences of common themes and things that might be very surprising to many people. Um, and then comparing these to the positive near-death experiences, it really started to paint a picture to answer some of the questions that I went into when writing this book. Like, what are those big questions? Is there a hell? Why does it exist? Do people go there? If they do go there, why do they go? Who puts them there? Um, how do they get out if that's even possible, right? Because religion teaches us in most cases the hell is eternal and you can't escape from that, which is pretty depressing. Right. So there was all these different angles that I was coming at from. And I was, again, purely scientific. I didn't have any preconceptions. I did study theology and religion, different religions and how they look at hell. You know, for example, um, in, in the Hindu religion, there's many levels of hell. Yes. And, um, and, you know, and, and even in Judaism, it's a very interesting concept of hell. And there's different ways that people come and go from hell and in Buddhism. So I looked at these different concepts and demonology. I looked into demonology as well. I think the thing that stood out to me with the data that, that I had 
was that hell is exactly what you would expect it to be, probably worse. Um, I mean, a lot of people that had these experiences and if they and they end in various different ways. Um, so many of them do end positively. So that's the good news. And I'll come to that. But some of them end abruptly and because they were resuscitated uh, back here in, in life. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they didn't have a positive end to their experience. And naturally, if you had this experience and you saw these things, then you may well feel that you're damned to hell, right? Because you were pulled out of that experience yeah. before you understood. It's got to be a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People have physical reactions to this. There was uh, one guy, as he was writing, he said, I can feel my chest tightening. You know, I, I, he's hyperventilating, struggling to breathe, just reciting the experience. That's how horrifying it was. Mm-hmm. And it truly is horrifying. I mean, all the things that you would expect uh, traditionally from hellish experiences occur. So, um, I mean, some of the descriptions of demons are pretty disturbing. All manner of demons that were running around, um, people getting eaten alive. Um, and it's, I mean, even the being eaten alive part, I mean, what it's not, it's not even the worst part isn't that they're being eaten alive. The worst part is obviously once you're dead, you don't have a physical body, right? So let's assume the consciousness, not assume, but based on the research, the, the, because otherwise you'd see the person's body float away, right? If that was the case. So mm-hmm. the human consciousness leaves the body and goes in whichever direction, heaven or hell. Um, so you don't have a physical body in this place. And um, so what happens, in, and, and it's what you expect, is that when these people have parts of their body torn out, and there's one lady whose abdomen was being kind of ripped away through the teeth of this creature, it would reappear, right? Because it's, cause it's not a physical body. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of goes some way to explaining what hell is in the first place so what you expect from hell is absolutely there and i believe during the course of the research there's a reason for that which we can explain and um so kind of coming back to that whole what is hell and why is it there before i get to that first talk about judgment because i think this is the most important message to take away from this so the more traditional view and i'm not singling out any particular religion all religions in some way um or, or, or people's general belief is that god or a deity of some kind would judge you at the moment of your death and then send you to hell that is not at all what the research tells us and actually not even from a, a distressing experience point of view even from a positive nde experience you talk to anybody anybody that had a legitimate um grace and scale validated near-death experience even a positive one the first thing they will tell you is that God does not judge people. There is no judgment from God in any way, shape, or form, or from anybody to that matter, in, you know, once they pass over to the other side. So I already knew that before I even got to stressing near-death experiences. So that's probably the first thing. And I think my favorite quote that I picked up during the research from one of the witnesses was that there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. I think that's a really strong message, and I found that very compelling. Um, and so, and then there's so, so where we get to the judge, there is judgment, but coincidentally and ironically, it's not from God, it's from ourselves. So, if you imagine that, and not to get too much into the meaning of life, but if you imagine the earth, and actually, Elon Musk is a good analogy, right? He could, he thinks we live in a simulation of singularity, right? Mm-hmm. May not be that far from the truth because let's assume we come to earth, let's assume that, that heaven is actually home, that's the real place, that's the real earth. And Earth is actually just an academy, you know, somewhere we can come to learn how to 
um, deal with suffering and how to deal with um, how we look after each other, how we care for each other, how we care for ourselves. Things you can never experience in a kind of peaceful place like heaven, right? You, you're not going to learn these things there. And that's how you grow as a person, how you grow spiritually is to is to overcome struggles in life. And it's a pretty tough life for many people. So the reason I'm saying this is when our time comes, there's this concept, people say, your life flashes before your eyes. So that's technically true, but actually what's called is a life review. So the reason I mentioned the academy is when you go into this life review, so at the end of your life, um, and this happens to almost everybody exclusively, when you finally go into heaven um, or maybe a middle place before heaven, you, you have this life review. And, and many the life review can manifest in many different ways. People see it in different ways, which can be a little bit confusing, but ultimately the messaging is the same. Here is every event throughout your life that you've, that you've been through, but crucially, what you've put other people through or the interactions with other people that you've had. So, for example, one of my favorite ones was a guy that used to bully another kid at school when he was younger. And um, he he was shown this. And, and it's, it's important to understand that this is not punishment. This is a learning exercise, right? You've just spent all this time on Earth. You've gone through this incredibly challenging and difficult life um, in this very fragile vessel that carried you through it. Now it's time to look at that and see what you've learned from that and how you've grown, you know, how you've spiritually grown as, as a soul or a person or whatever you want to call it. And so this particular um, kid bullied another kid. And on earth, we don't feel what they feel, right? We only feel what we feel. You know, we're always observers of others. We're never in their minds. Crucially, with this near-death experience life review, is that you feel what they felt. So you feel exactly, and again, it's not a punishment. And this one child who was bullied um, as this guy was reviewing this, he, he, he could feel everything this boy felt as he walked home crying to himself. And he could felt, he could feel the negative energy permeating from his kid and expanding out, you know, and affecting everything around it. And energy is a very important concept that I came across. Um, yes. the, the mm-hmm. thing called law of, uh, the law of attraction, positive and negative energy is absolutely critical to how this yeah. all works. And so this, so, so he feels everything. And even when this kid gets home to his parents and he's crying to his mother and father, the the, the, the the guy that's witnessing this can feel the anguish of the mother and father as well. So it's that 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 ripple effect. Yeah. Like you don't know how far your actions go and how it affects people. And again, it's not punishment because all this time he's surrounded by people, beings that love him. And they're saying, look, you're only human, right? This is part of the process. We need to get through it, right? We need to get to the end of it. And so everybody goes through this process. And one that comes up a lot is Hitler, right? Classic example. Does Hitler go to hell? Well, the question is to whether you go to hell. There's a couple of things. If you cannot make it, and this is there was less data for this particular case, but it did occur more than a couple of times, which is why I, I think that it, it has some value and has some weight. There was a case where a lot of uh, maybe four or five people could not complete their life review, and I included one in the book. And because they couldn't do that, you can't go forward to home slash heaven until you complete this process, right? Because throughout your life, when you're born, no baby is evil, right? No child is born evil, right? right? You collect that negativity through your life, through your experiences. And so you carry that with you to the end, um, unless, I mean, some people can um, kind of flush that away. Uh, I guess super wise people, apparently they do exist, that have already processed all that negativity before the time comes, and they can just you know, walk straight through those pearly gates. But for the rest of us, us mere mortals, we have to process that weight it's like 
it'd be like dropping oil into the beautiful Pacific Ocean to walk into heaven, carrying out all that negativity. And the whole point of being here in the first place is to learn from it and to process it. And so if you don't process that negativity, then you can't go in, right? Because that, that analogy of oil in the ocean, you, you just, you can't go in. You need to process that negative energy. And in many cases, it's your choice as to whether you do. Free will is also a very, very important concept. So if you choose not to process those emotions and that negativity, then where else is it going to go? Like, it's, it's a human condition, that negative evil. It's, I mean, people attribute it to devils and demons and Satan, so on and so forth. But I, I feel quite strongly this is a human um, manifestation, this the evil, right? I mean, how many animals kill for fun, you know? So it feels yeah. very human. And, and certainly the data kind of points in that direction because if you cannot, pro- and this doesn't happen very often, I think most people do get through their life review. And again, not a punishment. But if you don't, then where else is that negativity going to go? And so this is where hell comes into the picture. So positive energy is attracted to positive energy. Negative energy is attracted to negative energy. So you will see a lot, for example, um, in near-death experiences, that moment where they leave their body, they they just like a magnet, like a really strong magnet sucking me out of my body. That's energy-related, all right? So the, the energy involved is pulling your soul or the energy out of your body because your body can no longer contain it because it's dead. Is it true that people who have hellish experiences go kind of get sucked down and the yes, they go do. up? Really? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they do. And I think, again, this is humans manifesting this because we expect it, right? So before mm-hmm. it gets to why, they, they, I mean, it happens a lot, not all the time. Uh, sometimes people just appear. Some people, I mean, there's some really horrible stories where they're taunted, lied to, to, to encourage them to come into this dark place. And yeah. it ends up being demons that align to them. Um, okay. But before I get to that, so one reason you may end up in hell is because you couldn't process your life review. You couldn't, you need to finish it. You need to learn from what you've learned because you can't take that into heaven with you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you, you were born pure and positive. You need to go out pure and positive. You can't go into heaven that way. And I, I use the word heaven. I, I wish there was another word for it because it's got that religious connotation. Right. Uh, I, I refer to it as home sometimes because overwhelmingly people that have this near-death experience, and this stood out a lot to me, it's not even part of the Grayson scale, the question, is people say, I, I was home. And it happened again and again and again and again. So common, you know, this is home. Like everybody... That, that passes away has been there before, which is a whole nother story. So, so that's one way of, of why. And I think the less common way of people find themselves in hell. And this is the it's most. It's only like important. 4% of experiences, right? That 4 that to have 12% hellish. that have distressing experiences. Yeah. And it's not necessarily through suicide, by the way. So people think right. that actually suicide is about 55 to 45%. It's, it's, it's not like half and half. Half the people that commit suicide did, half the people that commit suicide didn't. You know, so there's no correlation to the way you died, for example, uh, at least not in my research, right? I don't know all the answers, but at least from what I studied and what was available to me, and, and certainly backed up by other researchers and doctors that have looked into the subject as well. 
So that's one possible way to get through this life review. Um, the second way, which is ironically, I think something that we create ourselves, is if we feel that we belong there. And this this is this was the kind of uh, hallelujah moment when I was doing the research. And there's this concept I call them observers. So these are people that had a positive near death experience, but for whatever reason they were shown hell. But from the safety of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's usually always below them. And again, I think that things manifest in the way that is most comfortable to person have an experience. Yeah, they they see hell, and so they they're not overwhelmed by the torture and the fear of it. So they they have a really good um, position to 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 ask questions and figure out why why are people there, like what's going on, right? If you're in the middle of it, it's very hard to be. Um, you know, to, to, to really make good judgment on why you're there and what's happening. Um, so the observers had a really good point of view. And it wasn't that many, but there was enough. And they all pretty much said the same thing. And they didn't explain why they said it, which is why I had to then go away and figure it out. But they said people only, the only reason people are in hell is because they choose to be there. Who would choose to be in hell? So that was, what do you mean? Why, why would anybody? But th there was more than a few people that said this, a few observers as I, as I, as I classed them. So like, what, why would anyone, what is it? And they can explain it themselves. Like, it's been communicated to me. I feel quite strongly. Um, communication in heaven is not like here on earth, right? People say telepathic. It's more than that. Um, mm. I think a good description I heard is like imprinting. So you communicate experience, not words. So telepathy is still, I mean, it's just the kind of wireless communication of verbal, right? You know, in your brain. But in the way things can get heaven is, is experience. So I could show you my entire life like this. And you would understand. And so it's difficult for people to explain that in words when they're writing their witness reports. So there's a lot of interpretation we need to add. And so when they say, I felt strongly that they that they wanted to, that they asked to be, that they decided to be there, not asked, but they decided to be there. Mm -hmm. So that that was the, the kind of moment where I started to look at it and say, why would anyone think that? And so the more research I did, then we kind of came to the conclusion, well, that comes to that positive and negative aspects, right? So if you if you're carrying all that negativity, so what is the the definition of negativity or evil, if you like, or whatever you want to call it? So things like hate, uh, fear. But for me, the strongest one is guilt. You know, so if you feel that you're not worthy of heaven and you belong in hell, then free will is a super powerful thing. That's a lot of negativity to carry. That's why most people, I mean, and I've validated this through actual interviews with actual people. And interestingly, that distressing support group I mentioned, and it, it was a wow moment. And it just really made me feel great about the research when she said, I felt I wasn't, I felt I, I was where I belonged. You know, I felt I was in hell. I didn't want to be there. I wasn't asked to be there, but I felt that was where I belonged. That is the overwhelming reason why people find themselves in hell, because they think that's where they belong. And it's not, I call it an emotional truth. Let's say, for example, you spent your entire life believing that you, you don't deserve anything, that you don't deserve love, you don't deserve heaven, you don't deserve God's love. Then ultimately, that's your emotional truth. So when that time comes, and, and it's actually very common. So this is where we kind of dovetail back into that falling part, right? So yeah. one of the most common themes is people kind of have this initially positive experience. They come out of their bodies. They go into this place called... Um, People call it the void. I call it the nexus because it's kind of the up or down time when you get into this darkness. This darkness is not scary at all. It's actually joyful. It's very relaxing. You know, you just feel content and peaceful. And a lot of people spend quite some time in this void, but they're not afraid. 
But typically, eventually, um, there'll be a light in the distance, like a, a very small light that will get stronger and stronger. And then you'll sense the presence of somebody talking to you telepathically or through the imprint, the imprint mechanism I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what this is where they feel so much love and so overwhelmed by love and acceptance that they, they can't believe that they deserve it. And that's the pinnacle moment that this self-hatred or this guilt kicks in and and you almost these 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 beings of light in most cases you know that they, they kind of speed up to try and get to them but it's too late and then immediately the, and there's, there's a particular woman in this case right and, and, and she she even described how she was finished I, instantly i felt like i didn't deserve this like this is too good for me i don't like i don't deserve this love like i i've been a terrible person like and then bang she was just falling like really really fast and the interesting thing is for people that have a positive experience, they don't have a physical form, right? They they generally manifest as light. So they look at themselves and their energy and mm-hmm. same as the beings around them. What's different about negative experiences is that people retain their human form. It's not physical. I think it's just a manifestation in their minds, right? Because they haven't let go of their life. They haven't let go of their humanity, which you need to do because you're moving on from it. So it's more like a materialist. It's more exactly materialistic, more materialistic yeah. Okay. And, that's, and, and so hell is very... Materialistic, like you say, right? It's, yeah. it's fire, it's brimstone, it's torture. And interestingly, I did a study on certain concepts, the smell of burning flesh. Yeah. The, the idea of smelling came up. Like it was very common. People would smell sulfur, burning flesh, this kind of thing, the screaming, um, the, the, the desperation, the agony. Um, and, you know, there's that famous saying that um, people find, you know, the tortured find comfort in the pain of others. Like, you know, uh, uh, pain likes company something like that there's a there's a famous saying where yeah and, and, it, and it's true right because i was like why are these people so desperate to pull others it's almost like they find some kind of um company in the suffering others suffering with them you know some kind of community by and, and that's why they want so the very strong feeling of this force pulling you towards them and i think this is what comes back to that negative versus negative right so you yeah. are emitting negative energy hell is a negative place and therefore, and this is where I, I tried to find a, a scientific explanation for it. And um, so I believe hell is a manifestation. And there's this concept called an egregore, which I go into a lot of detail in the book. And it's actually the Freemasons that came up with this concept. Um, but it's kind of like a group psychosis. It's a thought form. So the idea is that the soul, I've got a whole chapter on, on your powerful soul. The soul is very powerful and there's an element of um, a capacity and ability to manifest um, and I, I can't go into great detail of this physical manifestation, energy-based manifestation, or even like a hologram. I don't know, but it is a manifestation. A good example of this um, is actually in the Second World War. So the whole of Germany kind of took sides with Hitler, and you had the Allies versus the Axis. And these people wouldn't normally agree to the atrocities. Like regular German people at the time wouldn't normally agree to the atrocities, right? They'd become wrapped up in an egregore, which is a, a classic situation where the the same mindset is shared collectively and then so that the main examples is so extremism is a form of an egregore where people are kind mm-hmm. of um indoctrinated into a certain way of thinking it's very hard to break out of it so egregores are common in day-to-day life and the world we live in but in in hell so if we go back to that negative like you can't take all that darkness all that pain and suffering and um all that guilt and hatred into heaven and so where else would it go? So really heaven is the light, is the positive, and then hell is the negative. 
-hmm. And so it makes sense that hell would, if it's a, a collective thought form, is, is the technical term for an egregore, collective thought form. If it's a manifestation of the collective thought form, well, wouldn't that manifestation be what you would expect it to be, which is people's preconceptions of hell? So demons, fire, brimstone, um, all these things, right? So if it is a manifestation, and bear in mind that if one soul is super powerful, imagine if you've got trillions in the same place, all contributing to the same egregore, all mm. the same negative energy, all contributing to the egregore, then what you end up with is a very powerful place which manifests exactly the way you expect it. And every time somebody new comes to this place, they're adding their own uniqueness to this egregore, their own interpretations, their own fears, and their own preconceptions, and their own suffering, and therefore it grows in power. So that's the kind of explanation for the negativity. So as you kind of come through, once you've left your body and your consciousness passes on, and if you're weighed down by this negativity, then you're going to get attracted to this egregore. And there's a concept called the law of attraction, mm -hmm. um, which is positive, is attracted to positive and negative to negative. And um, I mean, there's a whole section in the book on that. So then taking all that into account, right? So either way, regardless of the scientific, um, or I mean, I say scientific, right? it's a bit of a stretch to say scientific, but regardless of what mechanisms we think is causing these places to exist or hell to exist, the fact is the people that to them it's real, right? They feel it physically, they feel mm -hmm. it. It doesn't really matter if it's real or not. It doesn't matter if it's a manifestation, a group manifestation, a group psychosis, or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. It's real for them. And so that's what's important. So the question is then, well, would I go to hell? Well, I mean, you know, I, the first thing is to not believe you should go there. I think that goes without saying. Like, if you don't think you belong in hell, and nobody does, by the way, is my belief. I mean, why, you know, I, I generally, it's like the curse of humanity. So, if you don't think you belong there, and ultimately, you know, we're only human. And I think the life review is designed to take us through our process. So we need to get through our process. But if you do find yourself in hell, um, and what, so th this, this is what, uh, this was kind of the interesting part of how to escape from house whole. This is the name of the book, right? And mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it is a little bit dramatic, the title. Uh, I mean, it, it's certainly, it's, it was meant to be a little bit catchy, but it's not a religious connotation. So, People that find themselves in hell, typically what would happen is, and the other question that we'll come to in a second is, why would God stop you? Like, if he loves you so much, why would he let you do that? Um, and the short answer to that is free will. So you're in hell. And for most of our witnesses, um, they have what I call a savior, which sounds a bit religious, but basically it was their way out. And the, the thing is, it, people, when people feel they're not worthy, right, that, that lady I gave an example where, she said, I don't, I, don't, I don't deserve God. I don't deserve peace and happiness. You know, I, I've done bad things or whatever. So once they're in hell, if they don't, they need to overcome that feeling that of guilt. They need to forgive themselves, basically, for whatever it is they think put them where they are. They need to, they need to get past that and forgive themselves. And once they do that, um, then they can look back up and they just ask. They just need to ask to be taken out. Now, and again, I use the word God. It's very religious, right? But ultimately... There is an entity, um, and every single positive and negative near-death experience explains a entity, and we use the word God to describe mm -hmm. this entity, right? But it, 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 the descriptions are very specific and very powerful um, and very unique as well, and very detailed in some cases. Um, but let's just say God, just to keep it simple. So when people call for God in hell, they're saved. You know, the light either comes down, there's like a, again, very 
kind of uh, conventional in, in the way it materializes, the way it manifests, which is a light comes through and then they're pulled out of that situation. In some cases, they just close their eyes for a second, they open and they're no longer in hell. So there are different ways that people come out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, they always end up with loved ones that have passed away and kind of then the, the, the experience continues on positively. Um, and that savior could be a loved one. It could be God. I mean, for some people, it could be Jesus. It could be some other religious um, uh, person, idol. So many different people have ways. described different religious figures, right? For yeah, like... many times, many okay. times over. Yeah, interesting. And I think it's it's it's, it's difficult, right? Because Jesus does come up a lot, by the way. Um, yeah. And I got asked this question recently: Do you believe Jesus exists? I do believe there was a person called Jesus. I do believe that. I mean, and again, believe based on what I've read and the evidence that's been presented. I believe as much has been presented. Did God send him to Earth? I, I don't. I've, I don't know. I've not seen. I'm not going to say he didn't. I'm not going to say he did. I just don't know, right? I mean, that's mm. part of being open-minded about the subject. So, and I, I'm not trying to offend any religious people. I'm just again coming at this from a, 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 and we're trying to reach people here that are maybe agnostic or atheist or just just curious. They're the people yeah. we're trying to reach. I'm not trying to offend any religious people. Absolutely not. I think religion is grounded in good morality in most cases, you know, good versus mm. evil, um, treat, you know, treat people with love. I think that's most religion is grounded in. Um, but yeah, there are religious people that appear. Um, Jesus does appear and he does stand out differently. And I don't know if that's because of the person that's having that experience perceives Jesus as being, um, you know, the, the, the son, son of God, or whether it's because he actually does have some uniqueness to him that makes him above your average kind of human soul, for example. So I don't know, but he does appear and other religious figures appear as well. Um, but overwhelmingly, despite that being the case, the experiences are still largely the same. The process that people go through, the life review, regardless of what you believe, atheist, agnostic, Christian, Buddhism, Muslim, whatever you believe, most people have the life review. Almost everybody has a life review. Um, whether you come back to earth or not, sometimes it's your decision. Sometimes it's not. That's a whole nother story as to why that would happen. Um, and the Grayson scale is, is a pretty accurate way based on what we know um, to, to measure these things. So, so really, ultimately, after all of this research, um, the, the lesson that I took from it is that why would you go to hell in the first place? Is not necessarily, and people struggle with this, and I did write about this quite a lot, but a Hitler example again, Right, surely Hitler deserves to be in hell, right? Of course, traditionally, as a human being, you know, in my limited mindset um, and, and my limited wisdom and my limited existence on this planet, even if I'm 100 years old, you know, comparatively with the universe, then yeah, I mean, you know, he absolutely does deserve it. I mean, he deserves to burn in hell. But that's a very human, con- I mean, and, and we all agree that nobody disagrees with that. And I always think, well, maybe it will bring some people comfort that when he had his life review, remember I said, you experience what you put other people through. Mm-hmm. Would that not be justice enough to experience, not just to see, eye for an but eye, to right? feel eye for an eye, right? So, and it's not the irony, and maybe the thing we're going to struggle with as people um, to get our heads around is from our point of view as human beings, eye for an eye, absolutely, it's the best form of punishment, right, for anybody. Mm-hmm. But that, it's not intended that way. Heaven doesn't mean for it to be a punishment. It's meant to be a learning experience. And if you think about it, if when we all die, we'll go to heaven, you know, with the exception that I just described, right? You know, the, the, the complexities around hell. If we, at least if, 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 you know, what if I'm right? You know, what if I'm right? And you find yourself there, you know, it just 10 minutes of listening could, you know, change your destiny kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But 
whatever we believe, if we all go to heaven, you know, excluding hell for a second, anything that happens on earth is more of a learning experience, right? So you know that after all the suffering that you experience on earth, people are going to go to this amazing, incredible place where they'll you know, be content and happy for all of eternity, although that's a completely different rabbit hole. Then, you know, it's still terrible what happens on earth, but it's not the end. You know, there, there, there's more to it. There's more to our story that goes beyond that. And it doesn't make our suffering on earth any easier, but it does put into context some of why that life review is super important. And people that have done really bad things, really evil things, um, and, and the other thing as well, and this, I have a lot of comments on this on one of the podcasts we did, yeah. is people like Hitler, um, you know, Vladimir Paler and other you know, famous evil people in history, they, bear in mind, they, they weren't born that way, right? They were crafted that way throughout their lives. And so when, when you go to heaven, the other thing as well is you kind of reconnect with yourself. And without, there's a whole novel book I'd have to write to explain that. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, we, we existed before we came here, and we reconnect with ourselves when we go back home. It's important to remember home, right? If it's home, you've been there before, overwhelmingly. That's where I got this idea from. So when we go back there, um, we, you know, we start to we start to reconnect. It's a slow process. I found with most people, um, that, that you certainly suddenly start remembering things. Like, this is familiar. I've been here before. This is home. That's the first thing you start to remember. This is all feels very familiar to me. Like, I feel like this is more real than earth in my life. You know, then you start to forget about your life. It becomes inconsequential at this point. So, and that comes back to earth being like a learning place, like an academy or a school of learning. And so many people, I I can imagine this is an assumption more than evidence-based. I can imagine someone like Hitler or anyone like that to suddenly realize what kind of person they lived their life as must be awful because that wasn't them when they arrived, but that's how they behaved while they were here. And now they have to go for a life review and process all that information. Mm-hmm. So, cause a lot of people say to me, why would, why would Hitler even care? Like how these people felt, right? I mean, he, why would his view change? He's going for a life review. He's experiencing what they're experiencing. Why would he care? Because that's not him anymore. He's starting to remember that he was someone else. You know, he's, he's, a, he's many people, he's many experiences, and he's, he's bigger than himself. He's bigger than his human form. And I think that that must be really hard to, A, realize this is the path I took, and now I've got to go through and live and learn from every single human. And don't forget that ricochet effect, that ripple effect. All mm-hmm. of those families that have been affected for all time, I've got now experienced that. So as a human, it's a great form of punishment, um, but maybe for the wiser um, that, that exists you know, in heaven, it's, 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 this person obviously has a lot to learn from this experience. Sounds like this realm, you know, this earth is sort of just a big purification or refining process of the soul, the soul energy or whatever we are. Um, do you think that's accurate? Absolutely. That's a really good summary of what it is. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's an academy, it's a school. Yeah. And, you know, I, I haven't dug too much into that. I mean, you probably know more about it than me in terms of podcasts. And I think I will start to look at it at some point. But there's this form of um, vibrations, energy vibrations that comes up. It's, it's a bit too complicated for me at the moment yeah. to speak too um, confidently on it, but it does make sense to me. And what I heard from somebody actually had a near-death distressing experience, so actually verbally we're talking on Zoom, and she said, um, Earth has the lowest vibration in the universe, so the most negative of all places yeah. um, in, in the universe. So, And so 
this is the other thing that I think, and again, not so much science-based, but just what I would pers- how I personally felt because it did affect me personally with this research and what I think and how I think. <clears throat> what stood out to me is how brave we are as human beings. Every single human being on this planet, every day. So yeah, actually the best one I saw was, you know how we look at angels, the human beings, we look up at angels in awe, right? We're like, oh, angels. Yeah. It's the other way around. That's how they look at us because we go through every, we chose to be here. And we go through every single day living in these fragile bodies, suffering these horrible experiences, whether it's disease or uh, any kind of mental health, whatever it is, anything you're going through, every human being should be super proud that they've made it through every single day, you know, that they get through. And angels yeah. look at us and they're like, and when we say angels, right, let's be honest, they're just souls that are passed on. They're just, you know, it's that they're just looking at us from up there. That's how I see it. I think we're all the same, you know, we're all angels. And we're here on earth and we're going through this craziness every single day. And they're looking at us thinking, wow, you got so brave. And another thing that happens in positive mainly, I mean, the hellish as well when they finally get to the positive part of the experience is that you're welcomed like a rock star when you, when, you know, when you finish the life review and you get into heaven and you just, everyone's like, you, you, you're like the rock star that went to, to earth and, and went through wow. that experience. And I find that very inspiring. So yeah. no matter how small people think they are, Actually, they they are literally the bravest souls in the universe. I think every human being alive. It's a tough gig, man. It's a tough gig. It is a tough gig, right? We don't give ourselves enough credit for getting through it. Sorry, I was going to ask, do you you think some people um, come here for a particular purpose to help other people? I think everybody comes here for a very specific purpose, and there is right. evidence to support that. But but the, the purpose, the thing is, right, this this is another thing. Right? We, all, we all want to save the world. Not we all, but lots of people want to save the world. And we think the way we're going to save the world is to stop pollution or to feed the um, to, to feed the hungry or, you know, the, the classical ways to save the world. The best way for us to save the world is to save the people nearest to us, right? So we... we, we and this, this is the, and actually, this what this is where I'm heading to in the second book. But now I've got access to actual people that have had these experiences. I'm speaking, yeah. at, you know, or I should be speaking at conferences around this stuff soon, or at least next year, and get access to these people. And it, it I mean, it, it's going off on a tangent a bit, but um, I think it's important. And I, literally, it's the last page of my book, which is we we have a plan. So God has a plan, right? It's not just God's plan; it's your plan. You agreed that before you came to Earth. And, so you, and it was a very specific set of experiences. And again, I've got to do research to determine whether it's, uh, uh, and it's all about um, do we live determined futures? Is, is, is the future, you know, is everything determined for us? Is it a set path? Can it change? How does it change? And so and I, I've been kind of playing a lot with that um, since the book was published a few months ago, thinking about it a lot, and it keeps coming back up. But ultimately, we choose the path and some people find this hard even my own wife found it really hard like, i would never have chosen the life i've been through <laughs> well now you wouldn't right because you're here on earth and you don't know any better yeah. but back then when you were looking down and you were like you know chilling out with god and you're like oh, oh, you know apparently it's pretty we can only hard. come at it from our human intellect yeah exactly right. our very yeah. limited human intellect, and it's supposed mm-hmm. to be that way if you came and having all the answers what are you going to learn perfection doesn't need to change right there's nothing to learn right. So when when we made the decision about and we we don't we're not gonna like cure world hunger, right? That's not gonna develop our souls. And each of those people in those situations have their own journeys to have. So every single journey, everything you do in your life, everybody you cross paths with is part of your journey. 
And that, so I value people a lot more just because I know you, for example, you and me talking now, you, I believe we're meant to talk. Yeah. And I know it's, it sounds a bit religious, right? But it's just a plan. Right? No, and you can't it. avoid it sounding religious, but if there's a plan, everything happens according to that plan, then I, 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 I try to look for the reason. I don't know what my reason is. Um, you know, I think for many people, and actually some people do get to hear their path in near-death experiences. Unfortunately, if they come back, they forget. They know they were told what it was, but then that knowledge is taken out. And that happens quite frequently. People learn a lot of things during their experience, but then it's taken away. Yeah, you were telling me before uh, how some people come back with different knowledge, more knowledge on things. Yeah, yeah some people come back. It's crazy. There's a really famous uh, young girl. Um, and um, she drew up, I think the picture's called The Prince of Peace. And um, she, when she had, she was very young. And I think she was like you know, seven or eight or something, don't quote me. But she was very young. And um, she, she, she had no artistic skills um, when she had a near-death experience. She came back and now she, she, she painted this uh, picture called uh, The Prince of Peace. And um, it's, in, it's a picture of Jesus. You painted Jesus. And it's, the artwork is like, incredible i mean she sells pictures for a living now but she had no artistic capability before mm-hmm. any experience people speaking completely foreign languages is very common people come back and they suddenly speak russian wow. or something. very common but the lady i spoke to recently at the stress and death experience group she um came back with a knowledge of quantum mechanics like a deep knowledge of quantum mechanics and i wanted to question her more on it i wanted to validate that but because i know a little bit about quantum mechanics i tried yeah. to align that with what, what i was learning um, but I didn't get the chance to. But it is quite common. People do come back with these new capabilities and new skills, which I also find very fascinating. Like I said, it, there's so many different aspects and so many different rabbit holes. And you know, one of my favorite sayings is um, the unexplained is just undiscovered science. You know, I think that's we need to be open minded, right? Just because we can't explain something doesn't mean it's not real. It just means we can't explain it. Exactly. Uh, I mean, if, if you if you went back 500 years and landed a helicopter. Everyone will call you a god, right? Yeah, so yeah. You know, it's a helicopter, right? So we just, it's just because, so I, I do think, that, and I, this is also why I think science is important as well. And I, and I wish the scientific community would take it more seriously. There are scientific studies. Um, there's the University of Virginia do some fantastic studies, uh, very focused on um, kind of neurology involved. There's already fascinating study that was done in Europe. And uh, what this guy did is this scientist, he looked, he, did, he took brain scans of different states of consciousness. So when somebody's asleep dreaming, when somebody's awake, and when somebody's having a death experience, and he, he measured their brain waves. And what he expected to find was that your the brain waves would be strongest when you're awake, moving around, living your day to day, having breakfast or whatever. Then it would be when you're asleep. Then it would be when you're an ND, right? Because your brain's dying. So that that was the order expected. So sleeping had the lowest brainwave activity, followed by day-to-day consciousness, followed by the near-death experience. So the near-death experience had more brain activity, more conscious, so effectively more conscious, more real than actual living experiences. And so wow. and that, that didn't quite turn out the way he had expected, but it did, as any good scientist, it, it raised more questions and led to further study in different areas. I think that's, and that's interesting because when you talk to anybody that had an NDE, they say, and this is also on the Grayson scale, did everything feel more vivid? And the answer is always yes, it felt a lot more vivid. And if you talk to people about NDEs, they'll say to you, it felt more real than real life. And then that comes back to Elon Musk, the singularity, the simulation. Mm-hmm. So 
that's why I mentioned Elon, right? So if Earth and our lives here is all a big simulation and actually heaven is the wrong place, scientifically, it will start to align to some of these theories around the singularity and so on and so forth. So it's a fascinating subject. It's a really fascinating subject. I think I think there is some truth to to that, you know, and what comes up in my podcast a lot because I've sort of like I've done other topics that sort of um, correlate to this. Uh, what comes up a lot is like for me is the whole Tesla thing, you know, the frequency, energy, vibration, everything seems to be based on that. And I think that I think that we're very based on frequency. Everything is frequency um, along with the others. But uh, and, you know, I've always thought that these other there are other realms uh, of different frequencies. And if you, you know, if you read like the Hindu uh, Bhagavad Gita, they they believe in seven higher realms of higher frequency, seven lower realms, which sort of represent like more hellish materialistic type realms. And there's even um, some demons or demon-like figures there, right? I think, so I think there's this like merging of science and and all this stuff. If you really look at all the information you know, I I did a lot of studying on like kind of the electric nature of of the earth and and our health and how that affects us and you know the the Schumann resonance is this the main Schumann resonance of the earth is the same resonance our brain works on, I think seven point something I can't remember but um it just kind of you know hearing all this stuff and and I do think like you know we are meant to talk to the people that that we talk to because every time I have a podcast, I learn something new and I get a new piece to the puzzle, you know, and hopefully maybe I'll give you a piece to your puzzle. Um, so it's just a series of, of puzzle pieces that you put together and it suddenly starts to make more sense or you can lean in a certain direction, you know, but I, I do think of it as like it all based on energy, frequency, vibration. Yeah, I agree. And it, it comes up a lot mm-hmm. and I hear it more and more and I just... I think there's an interesting one. Um, so you mentioned the different frequencies and energies. So there's this concept, which I'll talk about in a book called Garpy. So Garpy is um, a, a word that describes, I mean, the technical uh, definition is uh, the love that man has for God and God has for man. But actually, I think it's an energy. Um, and maybe I think it's frequency-based energy as well. Mm-hmm. And another thing that comes up with NDEs, and I mentioned these abilities that people have, they come back with. One of them, they came back, one lady, she came back with it. And she could see agape. She could see this energy. So when we talk about love, God's love, right, it's, it's, it's bigger than, like, even the love mother has for a son. It's, it's bigger than, it's more power. And people say that, like, near-death experience, people say it's there's no human word to describe the strength of this love. Like, it's, it's overwhelming. It, it's just, there's no human, no one's experienced it. You can only experience it in heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's called agape. And it, it's more than that. It's like the, I know, the analogy I use in the book is the force, you know, Star Wars, the force. Yeah. It's kind of like the force, right? So it connects everything, even rocks, like everything is connected to this energy. And I think the vibrations that we talk about are somehow related to this as well. Um, I just don't think we have the technological capability to really investigate it fully. And actually, <clears throat> if I was to do this whole thing full time, I would absolutely focus on science and I would like to detect at the moment of passing, is there some way to measure some kind of energy fluctuation when the human consciousness leaves that body? There must be something you just can't see it, mm-hmm. you know, without the right to like you can't measure radiation without a Geiger counter, for example. You need the right tools to be able to do this. So I'd love to know. Have we even tried to measure? It's, it's a bit controversial because is it ethical to be pointing instruments at a critical care? 
you know, yeah. more people are passing away? Probably not. So there are challenges with that. Although there are experiments in um, critical care units around the world where they are doing certain things. Um, but yeah, they say we lose weight, right? I don't know if that's been disproven, but yes, we lose weight, they, they, right? Yeah, I, I heard that as well. I heard yeah. that as well, right? And some people said it's your soul. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah. I, I again, I mean. <laughs> We just, I mean, I, I love science, and, and recently um, we broke the barrier for fusion energy. You may have heard um, that the, uh, yes, yeah, a massive breakthrough in fusion energy. They, uh, in California, um, one of the labs there, it's, um, it's a government lab, they put, they got more energy out from a fusion experience, uh, experiment that was put in, which is the first time in like 80 years since the, the since fusion energy was conceived. And this will change the world, right? Fusion energy, like limitless clean fuel. And so we're making these massive um, steps forward in, in, in kind of technology, but we just, I mean, who knows what we could learn if we put a little bit more focus on some of these existential questions. And um, I mean, I think that some ways religion and the kind of supernatural and uh, people cast near-death experiences and that kind of, in, in the kind of the bucket with UFOs and yeah. you know, Bigfoot and all this kind of thing. And it's a shame because, well, UFOs and Bigfoot probably aren't going to affect you. But you're going to die. We're all going to die. And I don't know about you, but I for one would like to know what's going to happen when it does. And so, yeah, I think it's important to all human beings. Have you been called a conspiracy theorist or anything like that because of wanting to study this stuff? Not, not so much on the near-death experiences, because I think at least with near-death experiences, that there is a scientific community for it. And mm-hmm. whether you agree with it being a near-death experience or not, everybody agrees it does happen. Is it psychosis? Is it hallucination? Is it um, an actual near-death experience? I mean, that's debatable, but everyone agrees that these experiences happen. We just can't explain scientifically. We can't prove, mm-hmm. I think we can explain it. We can't prove scientifically with instruments what what's actually happening. And I think that's, so it, it, whereas with UFOs, right, there's no, like you just got to go on someone's word, right? Or some grainy photo or video, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, near-death experiences people come out you know doctors will be in a in a um, recovery room of a patient who's just come out of who's been resuscitated and this patient will suddenly start talking about things that she saw happening in the room while she was dead and that mm-hmm. happens all the time you can't argue with that and that is a very common occurrence right, right. It happens a lot um, and actually Dr. Grayson over at the University of Virginia he got into this subject because he was working on a girl and she and, and she was dead, right? Heart stopped, unconscious. And she was describing what he was doing from behind him and what he was talking about in other rooms around the hospital, but she wasn't even in. So, and, and that that's some of the most compelling, unexplainable evidence in near-death, or at least maybe not near-death experiences, but at least out-of-body experience. Like, how does somebody know what you said in another room when they're either unconscious or dead or in a coma? How do you explain that? Yeah. And, and, and that has been that, I mean, fortunately for the kind of near-death experience community at large, that has been some of the most compelling evidence to support near-death or at least out-of-body experiences because no one can explain it. There's no scientific explanation that can explain how somebody that is immobilized, either dead, um, uh, flatlined, or in a coma, meningitis is a common cause of, of deep comas. How do you explain that? That they saw you talking to somebody and they can recite that conversation and what you were wearing and what happened. And, and, and other, other and, and that's not even the most common one. The most common one is when doctors are operating on, on somebody who's having a cardiac arrest, they're trying to bring him back. 
the patient wakes up and describes to them the procedure they went through whilst they were being resuscitated, who was in the room, what they were saying, what they were wearing, what the conversation was, even how they felt. They even explained how they felt, like I knew you were scared when you were using the paddles. And that, how do you explain that, right? Yeah, I've read and a lot of those. And they explain it from a certain angle. Yeah. Yeah, some of the the experiences I've I've just been poking around like the Facebook groups and some of the experiences are 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 so wild. Um, are there any commonalities uh, with maybe like the activities that they're doing before their near death experience happens? Like maybe they're drinking alcohol. Like, or, do you see any correlations and stuff like that? Or, and did and you don't see you said that you don't see any um, correlation necessarily to like. Uh, what we would consider bad people, right? Like there's no overwhelming number of government figures going to hellish experiences. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no, right. it's a very uh, popular thing right now. No, not really. I mean, you know, the very, they're ad- the normal people. I mean, I think, mo- you know, unfortunately, Hitler yeah, didn't leave a report on his near-death experience. We've only really got everyday people to go on. But all kinds, right? The drug addicts, people. I mean, it is quite common to see people having near-death experiences that have done it. Um, either through a drug overdose, very common, um, through, uh, I mean, uh, overdosing accidentally is another one, happens quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are super depressed, car accidents, drowning, all kinds. There's no real correlation to the type of people or the reason as to why they died. I think the more interesting question is why do some people have it and why do some people not have it? Yeah. And I've posed that question to people that have had near death experiences. Everyone has their own theory on that. I don't have any data that could possibly tell me the answer to that because no one ever asked that question, interestingly enough. I think a lot of it is, I, I believe, and it, it's just based on what I believe through many assumptions, that it happens to people that need it. And I think that's, you know, it, it, it's, if you're going through life and you're struggling and you're starting to lose your way and you're not learning the lessons that you're supposed to be learning, um, because the other thing is if, if everything is predetermined, um, so if we live in a, t- a deterministic world where all of our futures are deterministic, why would someone have a near-death experience? Like if you weren't meant to die and you get sent, if you get sent back, then obviously you weren't meant to die. So if it's deterministic, then why did you die? If it can be controlled. So I think that it, 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 when we start to maybe fall, to, when it gets that bad, and actually one of the ones I do see a lot of NDs, actually there is one, you asked me under what circumstances, people that live very incredibly difficult lives like our abused in in awful horrific ways and they just struggling to get through it and they just want to die and you can't blame them you know the, the things i've read and usually and even worse children you know that are just going through these horrific they report these things when they're older but they're abused by you know adoptive families or whatever and the abuse they suffer particularly in foreign countries as well outside the united states and other western countries they have their death experiences and i think in some ways you know Again, if it comes back to that, that's the path we chose, very hard to accept. And you'd have to be a very brave and courageous soul to, to, to say that's the path I, I need to learn from. And I think that they, they have this near-death experience and they just get reminded how courageous they are and how you know it's going to work out. And, and there's also an element of honesty that comes through. And actually, these are the positive ones that I did because I researched. I had to read all of the positive and negative to get a picture. And in this particular case, um, a very young girl. And so the, the, the bigs were still honest with her. They were like, look, you're super courageous. Like, you know, if, and they gave her a choice, like, you can, you can quit now, right? You can just stay here with us, you know, in heaven, or you can go back. And they, and, and, and this, it's not, 
it's not 100% of the time, you know, 50% of the time you have to go back, 50% of the time you can choose. I think it's, you know, like you would expect any reasonable person to be, and you, you can assume that, that, you know, beings, souls are going to be quite reasonable. They're quite reasonable, and so you can stay or you can go back. But this is what's going to happen if you if you don't go back. These are the people on your path that will not benefit from your love or your experience or or their experience with you. You know, this is the impact on the world at large if you don't go back. For people that are forced to go back, um, usually they have children that they've left behind and they remind them about their children because mm. there's an element of detachment when you pass over. Like, you don't, you know, even if you've got kids, it, I mean, a lot of some people do feel a strong connection to their children still, but most people like, mm, you know, I'm here. I'd rather stay here and go back to my own children. It's not uncommon <laughs> at all. Yeah, so that, that so they have to be reminded yeah. by God or the being they're with to say, they're your kids, right? You love them, remember? You love them. Yeah. And, and then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I do. I need to go back. So that happens a lot. But this particular girl was given a choice. Do you want to go back or not go back? And she was super courageous. She said, and they said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. You've got a few more years of this, and they'll show her like what the future holds. Um, but it is going to end and you are going to find love and you are going to have children of your own and, and so on and so forth. And then so they get a picture and then it goes, they'll come back. And as I said before, they'll only remember parts of it, right? So they remember that it will end at some point, but then they also remember being told who they would love, but now they can't remember, but they still remember that they will be, they will find love in their lives. So it's a very, it's a, it's a very kind of, um, organized situation and i think that's so coming back to the question like why do some people have it and why do some people not which i think is the bigger question as opposed to does, does it happen for people where you died i think everything's predetermined including and this is probably controversial even amongst indie experiences i i think it, 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 having this experience is is some ways predetermined where it's like well you're struggling a bit you need some help so this is the experience you're going to have i don't know for sure but that makes sense. it makes sense and well how do people describe these beings um is there an overwhelming like uh you know consensus on that and i i've heard stories of i don't know if this is true but people describing um beings trying to trick them into the light some people say yeah. don't go don't go into the light um and then oh okay human form and try to trick you yeah, yeah that that's about? right um yeah so yeah so from a movie i remember that so um yeah, I've seen that, but not not with the light. So that, that I mean, if it's heaven, then okay. So so there, there, there's like a it's interesting actually. It's a good question. There's this like point of no return, and I think even God can't help you if you point like it can't bring you back if you go past this point of return. So lots of people get to a certain point in their journey where they can't go any further, and they instinctively know if I go past this point, I can't go back to Earth. That is very common. But they're not tricked into it. They just as part of their positive experience, they get to this kind of. And it, does, it doesn't have to be like, it's not like a gate. I mean, it could be, it could be anything, but they just know they get to a certain point. If I go into that cloud or into that light or past that gate or into that field or whatever it is that's in front of them, they know they're not coming back at that point to earth at least. So that's heaven. So that, But no one's ever tricked. You know, I've never seen any example of hmm. someone getting tricked. Like, I think, again, you know, it's very organized. You know, I think there's a whole structure there. And you know, there's even a hierarchy if you really dig into it. And again, that's another rabbit hole. And then, yeah. it, but if you look at hell, absolutely. So the hellish experiences, there was one guy um, and he, he was confused, right? He found himself in a void. It's very dark. Um, he didn't have the same feelings other people get where they're comfortable. He's confused and he's like, what, what, where am I? What's going on? And a voice says, come with us, come with us, you know, follow us. We'll take you to heaven. We'll take you home. Come with us. And then he starts to feel like, 
and you can't see these things it's like misty you know so it's very light but very foggy so you can't see what it is that's calling him and they seem quite nice and actually the, the giveaway there is if you were in heaven you wouldn't hear voices you would hear thoughts you know coming back to that impression you'd hear experiences like you'd, you'd be like te the telepathy thing would be happening but not in hell there's, there's not much i mean they might have words telepathically but there's no experiences being transmitted between different people so the, these creatures or the, these voices are come come up but then the, the, the guy starts to think well hang on this doesn't seem right and then it's too late but he tries to get away and this was actually one of the ones i put in the book by the time he tries to get away it's already too late he's already made his way too far into this dark place and then they start to reveal who they are like oh this is your heaven you know you, you're evil and you belong here and you've had a bad life and you know lies 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 what mm -hmm. you'd expect from evil right and he he finds his way out but yeah that, that's the only time i've seen it happening so absolutely if you're in a place if you're in that negative you know place in hell then yeah they'll absolutely lie to you to keep you there or whatever it takes to create pain and suffering and torture but no, not in heaven. I don't think anyone lied. I don't think I don't think it's impossible to lie to somebody in heaven because you can hear their thoughts. Like, like you can't hide anything, and you, mm. you wouldn't want to as well. Like, you know, once you're there, like you process all the bad things in your life. Like, wouldn't it be great just to be able to be completely honest with another person, another being? Just no holds barred. They don't judge you no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you feel about what you've done. They don't care. They they, they just love you for what you are, and no matter what you've done, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. That. So that, that's heaven. Mm -hmm. And so you, I, I've heard of the hierarchy thing before. Uh, can you, I know that's a, a rabbit hole, like you said, but can you explain kind of how that works? And also, what are these demons like that people are seeing? Because there's a lot of talk about demonology. Uh, and I mean, some people believe in reptilians, <laughs> you know, who knows? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the demons are what you expect them to look like, I think, but probably worse. Um, I mean, a lot of people that um, spoke about the demons couldn't even describe it. They, they, they were like otherworldly, like at horns, otherworldly horns and teeth. Like There's no human words to describe how absolutely awful and horrific this creature looked. Um, now I actually have a theory on the demons, and I'll put this in the book as well. Um, so this is the stuff I, I didn't really think about that. Um, but the, the, the demons, the demons I believe in in some ways are related to the manifestation of ourselves, right? So if we feel, because you have to remember a lot of these people have been there for a very, very long time. And also time and space works differently in, yeah. in heaven. That's another thing. It's one of the um, questions in the Grayson scale, which is did time move differently when you were there? And it does for everybody, no exceptions. So it's the same in Harrow, right? So we don't know how long people have been there for and how long they've suffered for. But if you think about it, if hell is a manifestation, a collective manifestation, and demons, like I try to explain why demons there, for example. Well, is that a manifestation of how I feel about myself? So perhaps the the the, the way the because you want to talk to other people to feel the way you feel, right? That seems to be the overwhelming thing in hell. So as a, I think the demons and, and and certainly listening to it and, and and reading through what some of these demons said, there is a hierarchy, by the way, to answer your question in hell for mm -hmm. sure, which was surprising to me, and it came up more than once. Okay. Um, Satan came up twice, but nobody actually saw him. They said, I think it was Satan. So I think that was more of a preconception as opposed to, to me. I don't see how a Satan would fit into any of this. I don't really see what, why, where and why and how, or what value, or what, how does it contribute to any of this? Mm -hmm. But certainly there seems to be a hierarchy. And you no, know, in chaos, in, in absolute chaotic environments, you know, anywhere, 
Like if you go really far back in time, right, when humans were really basic and savage, they still had a hierarchy, right? They still had leaders. That's been consistent throughout human history. So mm-hmm. you would expect the same in a chaotic environment such as hell. So there is, um, yes, yeah, so I, th- I think there is a, a, a hierarchy in hell. It's come up a few times. Um, more senior demons compared to less senior demons. Uh, some demons are quite small. Some are quite big. Um, I, I don't know if some demons are just a manifestation of your expectations when it comes to, you know, and, and or the collective thought form. There, there's definitely a lot of manifestation going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the energy of all these souls is contributing to the ability to do that. Um, but I, I do believe that a lot of the demons there, perhaps, and particularly the ones that are part of a hierarchy, they look evil to, to be more frightening to those that come, right? Because they want you to be scared and tortured and afraid. So you feel the way they feel. And therefore, they want to manifest themselves. And because they're souls, and because they're in this huge manifestation, they're able to do that. And whether it's conscious or not, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, uh, I think demons are just people that manifest the, how they feel, how awful they feel, how bad they feel, how angry or, 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 or vicious or whatever it is, how they feel. And I think that's I think that's where it comes from. It's fascinating. So if everything is... If we're supposed to lean toward the positive aspects of of life, do you do you think there's such a thing as uh, toxic positivity? Um, I haven't come across it personally. Um, I mean, there's definitely cheesy positivity. You know, like there's, you know, <laughs> okay. there's times when you're like, ah, oh, come on, I'm British, so we you know we don't deal too well with cheese. But to be honest, I, I think I don't think I don't think you're supposed to avoid negativity. I think you're supposed to do whatever you whatever you need to do to learn. Right. Yeah. That I I don't think we're supposed to be angels, right? We kind of started that way. Right. Just live your life, do the best you can, and go the way that you think you need to go. And then when you get to the end, unravel it there, unpack it there. You know, like I I personally, I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to treat people badly. I want to treat people with respect and compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. But that's because that's how I feel. But obviously, there are people that have mental health issues, for example. They don't seem to have a choice. And treating people badly because of mental health issues, right? So why would they? There's a reason for it. So why would that be? Perhaps they chose a more difficult path, you know. So when it, I mean, obviously we want people to be good, you know. Ever we want everyone to be loving and caring, but the reality is, in this world, that's not always going to be the case, right? Some people are driven by greed. Um, some people are just. And actually, another thing that happens a lot is um, when people are trying to understand um, why they, you know, why they were treated a certain way. Um, and, and sometimes a being or God will explain to them, like, this is why your father, for example, was so horrible to you. And it's because he had torment. He had his own demons that he was carrying, his own pain that he was processing. It doesn't, it doesn't um, excuse the way he treated his child throughout their lives, but it goes some way to explaining it. You know? But So suffering loves company was the, was the one I was looking for. And so do, are we supposed to be good? I, I think, you know, I can't tell people that, right? They have to decide for themselves. That's the whole point of being here. Mm-hmm. Like decide for yourself, make the decisions that you think are right and, and do the things that you think are right. And even if, I mean, just be you, you know, just be you, go for your life. Um, I, I would like to think that people choose compassion, empathy over hatred and exclusion and judgment. Um, but ultimately, I think the message, regardless of, of what we think we should do in lives, I think that the big message here is that, you know, that there's no judgment you only judge yourself. And if you do mess up and you will, or you have, and we all do, learn from it and move on. Do not hang on to it. 
so many people suffer in their lives because they cannot let go of things that they did. And whether it's a big thing or a little thing, it's really important. I mean, that's literally how um, some of the most successful rehabilitation programs in the world around, you know, prisoners and criminals have been because they teach people to recover from crime and they don't repeat because they process what they did, they learn why they did it and they move on from it. So I think understanding why you did it, moving on from it and just forgiving yourself and, and trying to grow from it is the most important thing. Yeah, it sounds like it all comes down to self-responsibility, which is, you know, what I've always kind of tried to espouse because if you believe in sort of the face value um, you know, like religious scripture, it's it's kind of like giving away your responsibility, you know, but really it's all you, how you feel if you forgive yourself, you know, how you how you feel about yourself. Um, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, that's, that's a cool way of putting it as well. And yeah, you know, and the other thing as well is like not like I'm not from the diversity card, but ultimately, you know, all souls are the same, right? At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. when it comes down to it so any form of exclusion whether it's whatever exclusion i don't want to blame just religion but any form of exclusion in my view is not okay right. so it, it's like the reason we have wars is because we live in different territories and we fight each other because we just live in these different countries right and we think they're our resources none of my resources anything that creates division is bad yeah. in my view and yeah. i think that 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 that's that's something that I, I I that's the saddest thing for me in this world. I think that's where we're the most backwards. I mean, yeah. if there was alien life out there, I think that's why they don't want to talk to us because we can't even talk to each other. <laughs> so I, I think that that's the biggest thing for me. I think excluding others for whatever reason, whether it's race, religion, geographical location, ideology, political beliefs, whatever it is, yeah, I think that's super backwards. I think it's I think it's super unwise. And, and and we all do it. We all have subconscious bias, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I do it as well. That's sometimes like the way you're raised, you can't help it. But at least if you know you're doing it, you can, you know what, I shouldn't be doing this. I encourage people to think that way. You know, like, just take a step back for a second. I mean, if that was, even when you're hitting your horn, it's the car in front of you, right, because they're driving too slow. <laughs> what if that was your mother? You know, imagine that was your mother in that car and somebody yeah. else was beeping behind them. You wouldn't. It's, it's horrible, right? That's someone's mother, that's someone's father, that's someone's daughter, someone's. So I think if we just thought a little bit more inclusively like that, and, and, and just just remember, everyone all in this together, and, yeah. you know, the world would be a, probably a better place if we're a little bit more together than we are today. Absolutely, a great message. I think um, I think there are a lot of sort of man-made constructs like politics on this planet, and um, I think they're 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 meant to divide people. Unfortunately, that's why I'm I'm not. I don't belong to any party. I don't, I don't like those constructs. Um, yeah, because ultimately we're all just big balls of energy, right? And we're all, I think we all go back to the same force or the force, whatever it, it, it may yeah, be. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, whether you're, if you're left or right, hopefully you can kind of uh, abandon those kind of constructed ideologies and, and you know, have more uh, love and empathy for for people that you normally maybe wouldn't. Um, so I think that's a good, that's a good message. Um, yeah, and you, and you and we'll laugh about it on the other side, right? So no matter what's other, or you're on, on the other side, you're going to be laughing together with, you know, your arch enemy on earth, you know, mm-hmm. when you get to the other side. <laughs> but even, but I think we've just gone very extreme, right? So, you know, democracy is not meant to be like vicious, you know, it's meant to be that you can negotiate and yeah, there's things we don't agree on, but there's also a lot we do agree on and they're the things that we're going to, that we're going to come together on. And so, 
I think you use the word toxic positivity. There's definitely toxic politics, mm-hmm. which is 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 almost to- that's actually a good example of toxic positivity. People are positive about an ideology. Now, whether if if you're so positive to the point that you absolutely condemn anybody that doesn't believe it, that's toxic positivity right there in life. I've never seen in the afterlife, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's just I mean, people just need to be a bit more human sometimes. I mean, don't need to be. I mean, I would suggest they are. And also, these are things you're going to go through in your life review. So I would suggest that as well. If you next time, and actually one really important message as well, when we spoke about negativity, right? Carrying hate only hurts you. It doesn't hurt the person you hate. Mm-hmm. Any negative emotional feeling that you're pushing somebody else, they're not feeling it. You're feeling it. So, you know, like, don't carry around all this negativity because it's just going it's, it's to reduce your quality of life. It's not going to reduce their quality of life. And therefore, I always encourage people to try and just, you know, just move on from it. You know, whether you're learning from mistakes you made or you're learning to process negativity and turn something more positive. I know it's easier said than done, but it's definitely worth trying to do. Absolutely. I have two more questions for you before I let you go. I know time is flying by. Um, what do you think about reincarnation? And also, um, what do you believe or who do you believe god is yes you know the, the, for the second question i'll start with is that's my first question i'm going to ask him when i get there <laughs> so i i would love to know the answer to myself like so who i think god is i think and i've, I've tried to look into this and i've even re- written like the silmarillion you know like uh, jr tolkien works and i've read so much different literature to try and understand different points of view on, on this i just don't think it's an answer a question that we can answer from any of the near-death experiences because I mean, it almost feels a little bit cheeky to say to God, who are you? Like, you know, what's the deal? Where'd you come from? You know, uh, I think even even th- those of us that understand that we don't need to be kneeling down, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's our father as opposed to, you know, like his family, God is family to us. You know, not, not, not like we have to be on our knees and bow up and down. So even with that, I don't, I, you know, I, it's the fir- it is the first question I want to ask. Um, I've got lots of questions, I've got like a whole ticker tape of questions that I want to ask. When I get to, and so that that is one of the big ones. I, I think we, what, what I have researched, and I, it's, it's a, again, another rabbit hole, I didn't really go down, but I did pass over it. I did come across it. That we're almost all from God. That's one thing that I learned. Um, and so, but we all, we're still individuals. And we're all connected to each other as well, which is super important. We're, we're like a, almost like a hive, I guess, like a, like a single entity, but each individual in our, own, in our own way. So that's kind of what I, that's all I can really say about um, who is God. But he, he is absolutely God. I mean, that's for sure. You know? So he's, he's definitely God. And whether he's uh, one entity or many, I don't even know if he's one entity or many entities, or I just don't know. It's, just, it's difficult because mm-hmm. he's, he's everywhere and everything at the same time. And, <clears throat> but I do believe that you can have a relationship with God in your head. You know, I, I believe he hears everybody all the time, everywhere. So I think that's also something worth noting. I mean, apparently prayer does have power as well. Um, it provides a connection uh, to the other side. Words um, are frequency, I think. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. I agree. And um, even inside your head, they, they still have frequency. So I think sure. you're always heard all the time, you know, yep. if you want to be. Um, and then, so what's the second question? So the uh, first question. I was asking about reincarnation. What oh, is, reincarnation. If anything came up in your uh, research? Yeah, that's... it did, absolutely. Do so you remember mm-hmm. I said that you, you you agreed what 
I mean, it came up a lot, and I was fascinated by it because I, I never believed in reincarnation. I, I didn't believe in anything. I just, you know, open-minded. Mm-hmm. But I, I, reincarnation was like, mm, how does that work? So, but it does come up quite a lot, and it was something that surprised me a lot about reincarnation. And even the word reincarnation, again, if we come back to that concept that Earth is like a, a simulation, um, it's kind of like, you know, a, a new player character. Uh, you know, you just choose a different skin and come back and play, <laughs> play again, right? You have a second play on, on, on the game. So it does come up a lot. And like in order for you to decide the path you're going to take on earth, right? You have to assume that when you're standing there with God and you're agreeing what your life is going to be like, you must have had some previous like life to even be there talking about it, right? You must have some knowledge or experience just to be an entity, just to be um, sentient right, at that point. So just that infers that you must have had some kind of life both on earth or just in heaven. It must have been some kind of life that, that occurred prior to your the life that you're agreeing on right now and actually on the research and this is actually the second book uh, i may not write we'll see how things go with this one but the yeah absolutely so we i think we've all lived and potentially not that far from each other we've all lived many 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 different lives and there was one case where a young girl and this is what stood out the most to me it was a young girl as well so it wasn't even an adult a young girl had an experience and she, she, even at the end of the experience, she couldn't explain it. She was like, what the hell is happening? And because I've done the research, I kind of understood more about her experience than she did. But when it happened to her, she said she met a woman. She felt connected to this lady um, that she was meeting. And it, it was a very short experience. And this was all that was in the experience, pretty much. She met this lady. And as she was standing in front of this lady, this woman turned to another person. And she, she knew this person. It's like, oh, that, 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 she committed suicide, like, in the 1600s. And then she changed to another person, like a Viking type person. And she knew that it was a man this time. She thought, oh, I remember him. He went through this. And every and this, it's like someone was trying to tell her something. She never got it. Or maybe now she did. You know, a lot of people don't understand their experiences how much later in life. So she saw all these different versions. And I think it was her. I think it was all these different lives. Because she was connected. She remembered every single experience of each of these different permutations of lives. That she'd seen. She remembered the, the, the girl that committed suicide jumped out of a window, and it was like in uh, Victorian England kind of situation. And so, and that happens a lot. There's other situations where there was a guy that um, in Japan as well, um, and uh, I, I think he was atheist, but a guy in Japan just uh, was having an NDE, and actually the beings that met him were surprised by his reaction because he, as he was kind of floating over Japan, over Tokyo, um, he said to these, this being that was taking him on his journey. Um, he said, oh, you know, for my next life, I want to be autistic. And the being looked at him and said, what do you mean? Like, it's a bit early to be talking about your next life, but you haven't even finished this one yet. Like, let's, let's get this one out of the way first. Like, how do you even know about your next life? So you remember I said people remember things slowly? Yeah. There are exceptions to that. So he must have remembered something very quickly about where he came from and was able to say, you know what? This is what I want to do next in my next life. You choose the lessons that you want to learn before you come here. So it did, and that in many cases, many, many, and that's why I thought it would actually be a really good second book because it comes that big question: what is the meaning of life? It sounds like a really big question, a really bold question. Well, it's to learn and grow. Yeah, that's what I think the meaning of life is. Really simple, and so to have a part in that and be able to choose what you want to learn and to understand where you where, where you could be stronger, I think that's really compelling. And the hierarchy as well. I think there are souls that have more experience than others. I think depending on 
the life that you choose. Like, for example, people that live through the Holocaust. I'm a, I'm a huge World War II buff, so I know a lot about the Holocaust. Yeah. People that live through that, they experience that and, and suffer through that, to have chosen that, how brave must they have been? I think they are probably more, those souls are probably a bit more senior, if you like, or more experienced yeah. than other the souls. Rock stars, because right? Rock stars, exactly. <laughs> well, we're all rock stars, but these guys are like, rock, you know, they're like the Elvis Presleys of heaven. So, yeah, I do, I do think it's a hierarchy. And then, yeah, I think I mean, the reincarnation word, I don't know, that doesn't really resonate with me. I, I mean, obviously it makes sense, but it's, it's like, I think you've always been, you've always been, and you're just coming back. You know, mm. just replayability, right? Life has got a lot of replayability. And you just keep coming back again and again and again and again and again and, and, and you know, learning those lessons that we need to learn. And you'll remember with this, because the other thing as well about that girl that saw these different versions of herself, she was literally standing in front of this, this woman that changed in front of her, morphed into these different people that she knew and was connected to. Wow. So I think we are, we are all of those people. We are all of those experiences. But right now, all you remember is who you are today and what you've been through since you were born on this earth. When you go back home, you will remember, you will kind of almost reconnect or merge with all of those other things that you've learned and you become your whole self. And you, you are still yourself right now. This is still you. It's just a slightly more naive you. And mm-hmm. then when you go back, you'll just be yourself again and all the different versions of yourself. And then you can say, okay, well, what's next? You know, I, it's interesting because you think, I, when I go to heaven, like, why would I want to go anywhere else? Like, surely you'd want to stay there for all of eternity. I imagine eternity gets a bit boring after a few billion years. So I don't know, man. I hope I hope it would. There would be tons of stuff to do up there. <laughs> I always uh, joke. Sure I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I always is. joke. I'm like, I don't want to come back. Like, this is too hard. Yeah, I, me, me neither. I don't want to come back. You know, I, yeah. I, 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 at the same time, I know I've got a job to do. You know, I want I want to finish what I came here to do. Yeah. You know, as hard as it gets, I always want to. I think it's important to people to be proud of what they've done and finish what they committed to do. So we all made a deal with God. Um, so I think it's important we finish that deal. Um, and you know, you're right. There is a lot in heaven. So, for example, um, one of my favorite things is I, I'm a huge buff for the universe as well. I'd love to travel in space, for example. And lots and lots and lots. And this is really common. People that have out of body experiences, they travel through the solar system. They zip away from Earth. They see the Earth disappearing in the distance. They travel past Neptune and Venus and out the solar system. They go to other planets. They see other creatures, other life forms, and they see things that are just mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. And um, and again, I believe there is some kind of science to explain all of that. But we're just not there yet. But if you can imagine, if you go anywhere in the universe, anytime, and see anything you wanted to, even the other thing is, you go back and look at. You could go back in time as well. So you could kind of and people have done this. I say you could. I mean, I, I don't know how they did it. The people have done this, so they said, yeah, you know, I was, I was like back in, you know, like 1423, and I was on the field and I saw, you know, King Richard shooting King Arthur or whatever. And so, wow. and, and if it's possible to transmit experience, imagine going back for all of the lives that you've led and you can relive any particular point. It's like a, it's, it's like a, an, an, a limitless kind of hologram of your life. Or, or, I mean, everything is, everything accessible, everything has been, everything has happened. You can go back and see it all, and you can go anywhere in the universe, in this realm or any other realm. I'm sure there'll be some limitations to that. I mean, based on what I've seen, I'm sure there'll be more to it than that, but at least that's what it says in the experiences. I'd love to check that out. And I've I've heard some people believe, I had a friend who uh, wrote a book about uh, the nature of reality and um, told her about this dream that I had once where um, I, I couldn't really explain, I couldn't explain it was more like a feeling 
I, I, I had the feeling that everything was happening concurrently. Like I was a child in my bedroom in the house that I grew up in. And um, and also like the present, all of it was happening concurrently. Um, that's, I, that's I, actually, I, that's, 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 when you say everything's happening concurrently, yeah. that is super common with the life review. So when the life okay. review happens, it all happens concurrently. And a lot of the time people say it's too fast. And they go, you go for like 60 years of your life in an instant. It's, it's super common. It's, it's the most common mechanism for um, digesting the life review. And our, our human brains, because we're still mostly human at that point, you know, we haven't quite fully transitioned to our original selves. Well, like, oh, I can't process it's too much. But yeah, that, so when did this happen to you? Uh, probably a few years ago. Yeah, not too long was ago. Was it but part it, of an experience that triggered it? Did something happen? No, it was just a rig. And I never remember dreams, really. I don't think about my dreams. I never remember them. But I told that to my friend who wrote this book. And she was like, she. I remember her saying that that like had come up in her research as well. I just, that dream always stuck with me. So I wondered if like time kind of, worked like that always time you know? and space is different in, in beyond here I, in fact, I think that yep. time and space here is the anomaly i think the linear time is the anomaly i think time and space works very yeah. differently in other realms i just think the earth and our universe is mm -hmm. uniquely positioned to support life and, and our experience and apparently one i heard that there are other planets that we can choose to live on and I, then it starts to get a little bit out there and i think the thing about writing the book and the conversation i mean we've gone down some pretty big rabbit holes just in this conversation mm -hmm. but you need to be super open-minded just to really have yeah. this conversation. Not everybody is ready for that. I think right. that people, like people, need to take baby steps into this subject. Yeah, because we don't lose anyone, right? Particularly if yeah. what we've learned can help them to lead a more fulfilling life and to feel more valued and more important. Because as we said, everybody's super important. Everyone's very brave. I think that's the things I want people to to think about most. Then when it gets into these like really it's super fascinating and interesting subjects like we're talking about space and time and the science and the mechanism, which I do talk about in the book. At this point, I think it's more important that people understand that they are rock stars, like we discussed, they're heroes mm. and that they're, they're strong and they agree to be where they are, which means that they can do it and they should get through it. And, you know, at the end of it all, it will all be worth it, you know? And, and I think that's the, that's the lesson I'd want people to take away from the book at the end of it, despite the horror of hell Believe it or not, it actually is a good message at the end of all of this. Fascinating stuff, David. I want to thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to me. And um, where can people follow you and and uh, pick up your book? So they can pick it up from Amazon. Uh, so you can just Google how to escape from hell. It's available in all major countries. Um, it's only in English at this time. Um, also, how to escape from hell.com. Easy to remember. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's out there right now. And um yeah, I'm, I'm, there's also a number of different podcasts and stuff, and um, I'll be starting a blog on Amazon Author. Um, so if people have questions, there'll be a mechanism for people. to Then they can submit via my website. Uh, there's a contact form on the website, uh, howtoscapefromhell.com, if they've got questions. Um, and yeah, just as because we aren't a lot of questions, so I want to start answering those a bit more comprehensively rather than just emails. I think some mm -hmm. of these questions are really good, and it'd be good for other people to hear the answers to some of these questions as well.
All right. Well, thank you again. And I hope you'll come back because I got to have a million more questions for anytime, you as well. <laughs> anytime. Happy to come back. I appreciate it. All right, David. Thanks again. Take care. All right. You take care. All See right. ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Patrick Black or Anti-Mask NYC on Cash App. We appreciate your support.